0: Welcome to Civil Discourse. This podcast will use government documents to illuminate the workings of the American government and offer context around the effects of government agencies in your everyday life. And now your hosts, Nia Rogers, public affairs librarian, and Dr. John Augenbaugh, political science professor. Hey, Augie. Good morning, Nia. How are you?
1: I'm excited because we get to get into more cases and more stuffs.
0: Uh, Yeah, so for uh, uh, listeners, uh, this is our second episode of where uh, we are wrapping up the Supreme Court term. Um, And uh, the previous episode, um, we looked at um, some of the more important cases that the Supreme Court had already issued decisions about. Now we're taking a second cut, right? Um, And these are uh, cases that have been handed down in kind of sort of early June, right? <laughs> okay. Right. Um, right. Uh, and,
1: and these are not, by the way, in order of importance.
0: No, 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 no. The, no. the way yeah.
1: the court releases things is not by an order of importance, as far as I can tell.
0: Oh, no, no. As far
1: as I can tell, it is throw a dart at a dartboard, and that is when we will release this particular case, because we have, we've, there are some we're still waiting on. That for, were for our third episode, episode
0: that the oral arguments took place in a, october a
1: billion years ago in october
0: like, and november of 2022
1: right, right. they Again. The dinosaurs roamed the earth when they were when they were doing those or, original arguments and now we're getting so some of it they've sat on and some of it they've they've had to pull apart because it's complex it's super yes. complex yeah and as noted in uh many episodes on this of this summer. Um, if they were easy, they would have been decided by the lower courts and the Supremes would not have taken them.
0: Yes. So, uh, yes. Every and one so of these cases is, is complicated. complicated. Yeah, it's complicated. It touches it, it upon. It would be lovely if yeah, they could is- just say, oh,
1: well, this is easy peasy book. Right. But that's not how. No. no. There's very okay. little book from yeah. the Supreme Court.
0: Yeah. There's very little meh.
1: Right. Okay. That's not how they. Sure. they yeah. They don't
0: yeah. roll like that. That's- yeah. I mean, I mean, again, listeners, just to put this in context, okay, the, the cases we're going to discuss in this episode and in the next episode, the Supreme Court only decided to hear and issue decisions in 58 cases, and they received, okay, over 9,000 appeals. Right. Right. I mean, these are the toughest of, of the toughest, right? These are the most important of the most important.
1: Right? And often these are the ones they want to send a message with.
0: Oh, my goodness, yes. This
1: is their way of communicating in sometimes with the lower court, in sometimes with the judicial branch, I mean, the, or the, the legislative, pl- legislative branch, branch, sometimes with the executive branch, sometimes with the people. public, yes. Right? like yeah. It,
0: yeah. The us. Yeah, right. yeah. 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 And and we're gonna get I, to Sometimes
1: that. I feel like it's personal. They're talking to mm-hmm. me.
0: Yeah, you um, know, they, 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 there are there are those memes that you know, like <laughs> I feel attacked,
1: right? <laughs> right? And I'm like,
0: okay, I don't think you needed yeah. to wow, you, you
1: I don't to think you gang he, up on me like that. Yeah. I don't
0: <laughs> think you needed to put it into an opinion that's gonna be like published for the rest Forever. of the, yeah, for the rest of this country's <laughs> history. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I had that thought. Yeah, no kidding. All right. All right. Pushy. Um,
1: So shall we get into it?
0: Yeah, let's do it.
1: I don't remember. We're going to start with a case, though, that I don't remember if we talked about. I don't think we did. No,
0: we did not. And I'm
1: fascinated by this idea that you could send that sending messages through Facebook, either by the amount or by the content could be considered threatening.
0: Yeah, in uh, Neil- Right, uh, is that yeah. what
1: the case is about? So this is Counterman v. Colorado.
0: Yes, Colorado uh, had a statute um, that allowed um, uh, state prosecutors to bring charges against somebody who used uh, social media uh, to, uh, uh, if you will, engage in threatening speech, OK? Okay, um, and um uh Colorado, like a number of states, have passed uh, what they're what they call anti-bullying statutes. Um, and 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 the idea behind these laws are to protect individuals um uh, in their use of social media. So if you use social media, um you know, the idea is um, you shouldn't be bullied, threatened, or stalked. Right. Or stalked via right. social and, media. Okay. And
1: stalking meaning I'm sending you copious amounts of messages.
0: Yes, right? Um, and countermen argued that the Colorado statute okay, um, uh, violated the First Amendment. Um, and, and, and Nia, as you pointed out, uh, the case involved numerous messages sent via Facebook, that were interpreted, um, uh, by a woman as, uh, threatening, um, um, and, uh, what the Supreme Court was forced to address is on what standard should courts, um, uh, review the law, um, and as it applied to countermen, right? Uh, so... Yeah, go on ahead. the
1: one side we have what the speaker's intent is. Yes. I am not intending to communicate a threat. I'm just intending to be insistent on my opinion or whatever you want to however you want to put that. versus what a versus what a reasonable person might perceive as
0: yeah, threatening
1: and, and- or too much or whatever. Yeah. yeah right?
0: and, and Nia, yeah, you, you summarized it very well. In a previous podcast episode, Nia, we talked about tests.
1: Right. And one of,
0: the, one of the tests we talked about is um, how uh, the courts um, sometimes use what's known as the reasonable person test. Okay. How would a reasonable person interpret your actions, or in this case, your speech? And that's what Colorado argued, should be the test, right? Counterman argued the test should be, what was my intent? So that would force a prosecutor to show that the speaker's intent was to
1: terrorize or scare or
0: or threaten another person,
1: right? Right. Which is harder? That's a harder standard. No, oh, that's really, a
0: much yeah, that's a much harder than
1: a reasonable standard of um I in mean, a reasonable person, a reasonable person
0: standard. standard, right? Okay. Okay. Um, and the Supreme Court. <laughs> this is skills, me. the The Supreme Court, in a vote of seven to two, held that neither Colorado or Counterman were correct.
1: <laughs> of course, they did.
0: Okay. <clears throat> Uh, The court adopted a standard that was between what counterman wanted and what the state wanted. Um, What the court came up with was, and they sent the case back down to the trial court to decide this. The state of Colorado has to prove that the defendant had some subjective understanding that his statements okay, were threatening based on a showing... No more demanding than recklessness
1: Okay, so they have to meet a standard of recklessness as opposed to beyond a reasonable doubt, right, like there are levels of so they didn't have to show that he know that he that he knew necessarily that they were terrifyingly threatening so much that it was reckless to send yes a whole bunch of messages to somebody
0: yeah so if you put this okay. on a so Nia, if you put this on the a spe- spectrum okay yeah, on a if you put this on a spectrum, okay, the more difficult of these tests w- would have been what counterman was arguing, right because counterman's argument was the state would have to go ahead and figure out what his intent was, right the far easiest would be the reasonable person standard, right, okay, because just a reasonable person would go ahead and say oh, you have sent me, you know, 5,000, you know, messages on Facebook, okay, this has gone this is beyond, too much. Right? Yeah, this this, is beyond. yeah, this is beyond just annoying, right? Okay, now you are threatening me, you are stalking me, etc. And what the court came up with was something in the middle, okay? And by the way, the recklessness standard is actually used, and it's typically used for things like Okay, manslaughter, okay, and other if you will right violent reckless drug.
1: endangerment which yes. which is you know, I set up a situation where there was a likelihood that someone could be injured,
0: and I should have known that would have been the case right, right?
1: because there, I'm, you know, I'm either an expert in the thing or i'm you know you know and, 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 and theoretically knowledgeable in some way yes, so and, and theoretically, is, you should know that sending five thousand messages to someone is. Off the chart. Yeah, like was, that's not. Yeah, especially not welcomed messages, yeah, right? Unwelcomed messages or unresponded to messages. That would be quite a large number. We're not saying it was five thousand, by the way. We're just using that yeah, as a, a big not, number. Yeah, that's but even if it was a yeah. hundred, yeah. more than say five is probably getting into the area of you need to stop sending people messages if they're not responding. Yeah. So it is somewhere in the middle. Yeah, of, you I don't mean, have to prove this person had the intent of terrorizing the other individual, but you do have to show that they were reckless in some way.
0: Yeah, that they should have known okay. that the recipient might have perceived or interpreted all these me- messages as threatening, okay? And and what to me is fascinating is the majority opinion written by uh, Justice Kagan basically is an opinion that upsets both parties in this case. Yeah. Right? Okay. Countermen wanted a far more difficult standard to be used. Colorado didn't. And by the way, probably the group that's most upset are those who have been advocating um, um, these anti-bullying, anti Okay, um, They're really upset because right. basi- basically the court has said that you have two competing interests here. You have freedom of speech. Versus trying to protect vulnerable members of the society um, that the government engages in. Okay. With some regularity. I mean, a lot of our criminal statutes are designed to protect. Okay. People. Okay. You should be able to use social media without feeling threatened. Right. Right. On the other hand, you have freedom of speech. Right. Right. Okay. Um, um, So what
1: basically what, what justice Kagan said was, this is complicated.
0: Yes. Okay. <laughs> um, and and I,
1: spent any number, large number of pages saying this is yeah. complicated.
0: Um, and and I, you have to
1: find that balance and the courts will decide where that balance is. So yeah, what they've yeah. done is say to the courts, you have to, you have to use the recklessness standard.
0: Yes. Yep.
1: Which is in between so who was, who were the dissents just out um, of curiosity,
0: uh, justice uh, Thomas um, and, um, Tony Barrett, um, uh, Thomas in particular, um, he doesn't like,
1: like anything.
0: Well, he was definitely Justice
1: Thomas does not like anything.
0: He was definitely, um, uh, um, uh, uh, flying his, uh, free speech banner with his dissent. Okay. Okay. So okay. he
1: came down on counterman's side.
0: Yep. Yep. So,
1: okay.
0: yep. So that was, uh, uh, I mean, it's, and again, I mean, so many, so many americans use social media right
1: it's a serious concern how oh, yeah. do you navigate this idea of when do you when has a person's contacting you gone past the point of contacting you and to the point of threatening you that's right and how do you how do you get the because you know you know
0: if we were doing this nia in person okay um and i engaged in behavior that you perceived as threatening, you could go to the police and swear out a complaint, you know, arguing, intimidation, harassment, okay, etc. Right. right?
1: Okay. I could get a restraining order. Yeah, that's right. Really yeah. hard to do that with social media, because I assume what happened is the person got their account blocked, and then they made up a new account and sent stuff like, because yeah. that's what can happen is, I can't create an infinite number of me's in person to harass you, but I can create an infinite number of accounts online Online to to harass you. Yes. So I can see where that would be, that would be complicated. Yes. Um, Okay. So I'm fascinated by the next case. um, Groff v. DeJoy. Yes. So DeJoy, Mr. DeJoy is the postmaster general.
0: Of the United States, of yes. the United States, yes. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: head of the United States Postal Service.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: He's the one who's been making lots and lots of changes to try to make it financially more viable. Yes, he has. Yeah. Um, because as we have mentioned in previous episodes, it is the only agency of the federal government that must fund its retirement ahead. Yes. So it, it's. Uh, Almost a corporation, but not a corporation, and it's always in the red, and there's always kind of drama. But this isn't about money.
0: No, 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 this no. It's
1: about uh, religion.
0: Yes. Uh, How does
1: religion play into the postal service?
0: Okay, so uh, Groff was a part-time postal worker, I believe, in rural Pennsylvania, and his job was to uh, deliver the mail uh, to various uh, uh, rural communities in Pennsylvania, and. Um, uh he was asked um to uh um uh, uh work on sundays um in particular delivering amazon packages um which the postal service does do okay
1: right uh, they have contract with amazon they do yes. the last mile delivery for a lot of amazon stuff
0: yes they do um and that's particularly important as we've discussed again in our previous podcast episodes about the United States Postal Service, that's really important in rural America. Exactly. Okay. okay. Uh, but uh, uh, he claimed um, that being asked to work on Sundays uh, violated his uh, religious beliefs. And
1: Which uh, if you're uh, in many faiths working on the day of whatever the Sabbath is, is, Friday, Saturday, or Sunday in most faiths um one or one of those days is considered no go, right? You yeah, don't yeah. work on that on that day.
0: That is the Lord's day. You are supposed to rest. you're supposed to be engaged in um, uh, religious contem-
1: activity and contemplation prayer and yeah. yes okay. And communal often communal uh, worship open. and eating.
0: yes. He claimed that this violated the Civil Rights Act of 1964, particularly Title VII, which Title VII of that law deals with employers' practices. For those of you who, uh, who don't know, uh, ni- uh, the 1964 Civil Rights Act is considered by uh, many scholars, uh, uh, many um, uh, civil rights ab- uh, 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 advocates, as probably the most significant federal civil rights law in our country's history because it banned discrimination uh, based on a number of characteristics, one of which is religion. Okay.
1: But this case overturned a case, didn't it?
0: Yes. In in 1977, in the Hardison case, um, the Supreme Court said, that um, um, there's an important clause in the law. It said that um, uh, employers could not discriminate based on a number of characteristics unless they could show that the accommodation that they would have to provide one of their employees created an undue uh, burden, an undue burden, all right?
1: And the 77 case found that they didn't have to do that. Well right. And then this case was like, nope, that was wrongly decided.
0: Not so much that in 70 in the Hardison case, the court said employee employers didn't have to do it, but that employee employers only had to show de minimis, minimal hardship. Ah. Right? Okay. And what was fascinating in the 1977 decision, which was considered to be pro-business was that probably the strongest dissent in that case was penned by liberal Supreme Court Justice Thurgood Marshall, who was afraid that it would be used by employers Okay, in regards to racial discrimination. And race is one of the characteristics that you cannot, employers cannot discriminate based on. But the other characteristics in addition to race were gender, age, religion, ethnicity, and country of national origin. So what's really fascinating in this case, the court's ruling um, was unanimous. The Supreme Court came out and said, the Hardison decision was wrong. Employers have to show, okay, Um, that, um, I want to get the exact phrase, okay? Um, uh, The court has to go ahead and, uh, 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 the court said that employers have to show a significant burden, okay? A significant burden, all right? Okay. Yeah, that would result in substantially increased cost in relationship to the conduct of its particular business.
1: So they can't so they can't deny you a religious accommodation based on a minimum standard of it would inconvenience us. It has to be we will lose money, we will potentially lose the business. We or in we the case of to have you working
0: and we're in the case of the United States Postal Service, or they have to show that it will significantly or have a substantial impact on their business operation, right?
1: It would cost us a and lot more, more to more, pay yeah. someone to work on. Because
0: what was at okay. issue for the United States Postal Service was that if Groff refused to work, it would force the United States Postal Service to either change other people's schedule schedules. So Groff's, if you will, religious exemption would have burdened other workers or it would have forced the United States Postal Service to hire more workers. So the case is being sent back to the trial court and the United States Postal Service has a decision to make. Do we go forward with this case? Or do we just go ahead and say, "Okay, fine, you can have your religious exemption and we'll hire somebody who will agree to work on Sundays?
1: Now, that doesn't. So. I, that brings up an interesting question for me and if it's okay if i ask you no, an yeah, sort of yeah. extrapolatory yeah. question which is i know i just made up a word um is <laughs> that like it's the first time i've ever done that um, <laughs> so if they hired you to work on sundays and sunday was the day of your religious conviction right like your sabbath was on a sunday then you, by taking the job that has that has been posted as working on Sunday, you would have no refuge in this law.
0: That is correct. That correct.
1: Yeah. So only because they changed his schedule. Schedule.
0: That's right. And he
1: was like, "No, no, no, no. I don't work on Sundays because I go to church on Sundays. It, it, or if it had been Judaism right. Friday, or if it had been Muslim Friday, uh, wh- whichever the Sabbath day is, right, that you keep holy." Then and that's a really that's different, different right? So, no, 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 if okay, they no. hire you under that uh, assumption, you don't get to then say, No, I don't work on Sundays.
0: That's correct.
1: And, and, okay. and by the way, in this case, only because of the
0: change of his schedule. That's right. And in okay. this case, the United States Postal Service uh, conceded Groff's point that when he was initially hired, there was no reference that he would work on Sundays
1: because they didn't used to do that.
0: That's right.
1: That Again. has been a that has been a change they have made in policy in the last few years, like just in the last couple of years. Because yeah. it always freaks me out when I see postal service people working on Sundays. Because Sunday. I'm like, wait, what are they doing? But that's been a thing that Thank the joy yes. has added to try yeah. to change their political their their um, financial situation. Yeah, yeah they're okay. Line. So, yeah. so so now. <laughs> But you make a good point. The question is that now they have to decide whether they're willing to fight about it. And my guess is that they've spent an awful lot of money fighting about it already. They probably are going to just hire somebody else to work on Sundays.
0: Yeah, and what was fascinating, Nia, during the oral arguments, the Solicitor General for the federal government conceded that the Hardison decision was probably wrong.
1: Okay. Okay.
0: Was probably wrong. But what the federal government argued was, okay, they didn't want the Supreme Court to go as far as the court eventually did. Because now it's the burns on the employer. And by the way, listeners, it's not just the government as an employer, it's also private. It's any employer. Yeah, right. it's any employer, right? Including, if
1: they change your schedule, not okay,
0: yes. But if now, you're
1: hired, like now, if you're hired at Starbucks and they say your schedule is whatever we tell you your schedule is, you don't get to say I it. have religious exceptions.
0: No, nope, you don't.
1: But but if, you're, if you've if you been working at, you know, Starbucks for 20 years and your schedule has always been like you agreed on a schedule when you started working there, that there. Was these days and they're like, we're going to put you on this other day. You're like, no, you're not then you um, might have a leg to stand on.
0: Well, well you know, but, think about- So that's
1: considered what a, a, a plus for the religious- Oh, yes. Community yeah. and sort of a minus for the business, business. community. Yes. That's interesting considering how, how conservative this court is seen and how conservative it's seen in terms of you know, business, yeah. power. I mean, and yet yeah, they're maybe. saying, no, you really have to show that the person, that there's an actual need to make this person work yeah. on a day when they are they feel it is inappropriate to work.
0: Yeah, and it's and it's one of those oh. things that can be confusing about a court because the Roberts court, led by Chief Justice Strong Roberts, has been criticized as being pro business, okay, by labor, you know, by progressives, et cetera. But in this particular case, and by the way, this not only applies to religion, right? I mean, oh, it
1: applies that, to all of those, those, all those,
0: all of those categories. categories. That's right. Okay. Okay. Um. So, I mean, if you're a civil rights advocate, okay, you might be thinking now the courts made it very clear. Okay. In the Groff case. Okay. That the standard is the employer. And again, uh, per the language of the civil rights act of 1964, the burden is on the employer. Right.
1: So the way, that it will that it will harm their business.
0: Yeah. So the way these cases. I kind of like that. Yeah. The way these cases usually go is first, you as the individual. Claiming an exemption. Have to go ahead and show that it's an exemption recognized within the law. Right. You know, race, gender, religion, et cetera, et cetera. But once you establish that. Then the burn falls onto the employer. Okay.
1: Okay. Yeah.
0: So that's, but,
1: that's a cool, ch- I mean, yeah. what's interesting to me is it's, it's unanimous.
0: Oh yeah. It was unanimous. Yep. Right. Yep. Yep. Um. Okay. So our next case.
1: Oh my is, gosh. You talked it, about this case before. Yeah. We We've talk, talked about this one a while yeah, back.
0: Yeah. We talked about it a while back because. And, 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 and this is
1: my people. This is North Carolina. It's not my people in North Carolina, but it is my people in general in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Yes. Trying to as far as I can tell, make up a new theory of government. <laughs> I think it was North Carolina saying democracy <clears throat> has had its run, <laughs> but we're done with democracy now and we're moving on to something different. Is that more or less what North Carolina said? Well, I mean, and it, it, the it, Supremes it, it, then said, no, you're not. What <laughs> do you do? Sit down. Sit down before you bump your head on something.
0: Okay, well, I'm, I'm gonna give the, the the brief history of this case because the the history of this case is pretty fascinating. So okay, wait,
1: so it's it's Moore v. Harper.
0: Yeah, the name of the case is Moore versus Harper. And um, uh, after the 2020 census, the uh, state legislature in North Carolina um, uh, did its redistricting of uh, congressional districts, right? Now, for those of you who are not aware of politics in North Carolina, Okay. North Carolina is considered a purple state. It's pretty evenly balanced between the two political parties. However, okay. The state legislature was controlled by the Republicans and in the finest tradition of gerrymandering. Okay. And we've discussed gerrymandering at length on this podcast. Okay. The Republicans in the state legislature redrew the congressional districts uh, which would have benefited the Republican Party, uh, I think, to the tune of like two to one or two and a half to one. Right. Yeah, it was it was it's like big. Yeah, it was like 10 to four or, you know, uh, right.
1: Uh, however many representatives they send to to Congress, to Congress. The vast majority of them would them have been Republican.
0: been Republican, right? And the
1: way that the way they managed to, to draw that in North Carolina is that the city, like many states, the cities are largely Democratic, Credit. and the rural, the rural areas, areas are largely, largely Republican. Republican. Yes. So if you make the cities their own districts, and you put two or three cities together, for instance, if you put the triangle together, you would get Raleigh, Durham, and Chapel Hill all in one representative. Yes. Then... Then there's no, then that person one would never be a Republican ever. Yes. But also,
0: you have packed, then you
1: leave the outer area, yes.
0: you've packed up, all the Democrats into, into one two. spot. Yes. Okay. And then
1: you put another one down in Charlotte and you pretty much got yeah. the major population centers, one out in Nashville, and that's your three Democrats. Mm-hmm. And then everybody, everybody else would have a been a Republican. Republican.
0: Okay, but at that
1: time, which, you know, that's and I'm just going to put out there that if the Democrats had been in charge, they would have tried to do the same thing.
0: Yes, because because gerrymandering
1: is a is a sport practiced by both parties.
0: Yeah, it crosses partisan lines.
1: Yeah. Whoever's in charge is like, hey, it's our turn to draw the maps. And that's why you get congressional maps that look like shapes that are not found in nature because they're just made up.
0: You know, thus the name gerrymandering, right? Right. You know, it's a combination of, you know, Massachusetts governor Eldritch Cherry and a salamander. <laughs> right? Ah. Okay. They're they're rigged. Yeah. They're
1: rigged they're, like
0: yeah. That. Right. Okay. So
1: anyway, so they so the legislature makes up these maps.
0: Okay. So you got a bunch of voters and a couple of interest groups who challenge the maps, saying that they violate they <laughs> who violate the North Carolina Constitution, right? Okay. They didn't argue it violated the US Constitution because in 2019, the United States Supreme Court basically said that these gerrymandering redistricting cases are political questions that are best decided by the states. Okay. All right. So the North Carolina State Supreme Court takes a look. And unfortunately for the Republican state legislature, okay.
1: They go, wow, those maps are way gerrymandered.
0: Yeah, because four of the seven (laughs) justices on the North Carolina Supreme Court had been appointed by Democratic governors. So by a vote of four to three, the state Supreme Court said, okay, these, you know, this map, okay, these districts violate the state constitution, okay, um, and we're changing them. And they did. And they basically made it equal, equal.
1: Yeah, the, it's actually much more even okay. than nature would have. Yes. Well, no, it's actually it actually works out right. Yeah. The way it would have worked out if you were trying to do oh I don't know civil discourse.
0: Yes, right.
1: Instead of. So are trying to balance yes. it one way or another. So the Republican
0: legislature is like, hey, this is BS. <laughs> and they and they latched on to a theory that we you know we previously discussed, and Nia absolutely hates this theory. It's called the independent state legislature theory. Okay.
1: Yeah, and it's like a sovereign citizen theory. Okay. It should just be thrown away, but apparently yes. nobody will.
0: Yeah, nobody will, right? <laughs> but nevertheless, okay, um, uh, because in the US Constitution it says the manner of holding elections in a senator's report is representatives prescribed by the legislature thereof, right? So it goes to the Supreme Court. Now, by the time the case gets to the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court gets written briefs and oral arguments. Guess what happens, Nia, to the state Supreme Court?
1: Changes over.
0: The membership changes, okay? And in particular... It's now got a majority of Supreme Court, state Supreme Court justices appointed by Republicans, Republican governors. It decides to do something, okay, that has hardly ever happened in the history of the state of North Carolina. They reheard one of their cases and they went ahead and said, no, the original redistricting map was fine. Okay. So, Those of us who follow the Supreme Court are like, okay, now the case is moot. Because the Republican state legislature ultimately won. Right. Because in 2024, the next time there are House of Representative elections in North Carolina, they're going to be following the Republican state legislature drawn map. But here's the shock. The Supreme Court decides to issue a ruling anyways, right? And Nia, you'll be pleased to know. Okay.
1: Okay. Wait, just as a side note. Yes. The independent state legislature theory. I, I, the reason I hate it, and I want to put this out there on the record again, is because it basically says there is no check or balance. To the, the state legislature, meaning the governor yes. cannot veto, courts cannot review. Whoa, 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 whoa. The governor could have vetoed,
0: but if the state legislature has a large enough majority, they can, ve- o- they can override the veto. the veto. What the state legislature theory basically just goes ahead and says is neither the governor nor the courts in a state can check what the legislature does. Right. Right. Now that is awe-inspiring in regards to a power grab, right? Because if you are a big believer in checks and balances, right? Which I am. Okay. And and, and by the way, and we understand that there's arguments against it, particularly if you like faster public policy decisions. That withstanding, Nia and I, okay, are in complete agreement on this. We like ourselves some checks and balances. Right. We like accountability, right? We like to know that what one branch is doing can be checked by the other two. And it doesn't matter which of the branches is initi- initiating the behavior. We like those checks, right? We're all about, okay, that particular part of democratic theory in the United States, right? So.
1: That little D democracy part. Of yes, the, of yes. The- governing yes. of the united states yeah. anyway so the <clears throat> supreme court actually goes forward and
0: hears the case and hands down a decision and the vote was six to three okay um and uh the the six uh in the majority were chief justice uh john roberts um uh justices kavanaugh uh coney barrett Sotomayor, Kagan, and Brown Jackson, right? So it was three of the conservatives and three of the liberals, right? All three liberals, right? And uh, in the majority opinion, um, um, uh, uh, they went ahead and said that the federal election clause does not vest exclusive and independent authority in state legislatures to state the rules regarding federal elections and therefore, the North Carolina Supreme Court was not barred from reviewing what the legislature did with the congressional uh, redistricting plans. All right.
1: So basically what they said was, if I'm interpreting yeah. you correctly, was independent state legislature theory is stupid. Go away.
0: Yeah, basically pretty much. That, right?
1: that, that judicial that, review exists. Yes. And it exists at the state level as well as at the federal level, and we're not going to let you say that it doesn't.
0: Yeah. Now, the three in the dissent, um, uh, Thomas wrote for him, Alito, and Gorsuch. They would have declared the case as moot because once the North Carolina State Supreme Court overturned its previous decision, there was nothing for the Republican legislature to complain about. They won so by definition, the case had become moot. But Nia, on even though Robert's majority opinion giveth those of us who like checks and balances, it also sends a very clear message to state Supreme Courts. All right. Roberts went ahead and said state courts should resist going too far. Okay. And in particular, he cited the Supreme Court's ruling, the U.S. Supreme Court's ruling in Bush versus Gore. Okay. Where, as you may recall, those in the majority in that case said the only reason why they got involved is because the Florida State Supreme Court was rewriting Florida state law in regards to counting votes. So, Robert sent a very clear message. One that I think both you and I really like, which is the independent state legislature theory, okay, is not the correct way to read the elections clause of the U.S. federal constitution. But he, and Roberts does this, he slides in these little nuggets into his majority opinion, where he basically goes ahead and says, but state Supreme Courts don't think that you get a blank check here. Right. Okay. Okay.
1: You don't get to balance in your favor.
0: Yes. You don't you get... still
1: have to act like a court. Court. You yeah. still have to only do review, review and only reasonable review.
0: Review. That's right.
1: Not yeah. rewriting review.
0: Review. Yeah. You can't rewrite statutes to fit your policy preferences. You're reviewing state legislature legislative behavior to comply with state constitution language. Yes.
1: And what's interesting about this, and what people who hate Justice Thomas are having to choke down about this, yes, is that Justice Thomas said that the the rewrite of the gerrymandered districts the first time was within the court's jurisdiction to do, yes, and he would have upheld it, yes, if it hadn't been then rewritten by the next court, yes to be he would have up so they would have gotten what they wanted yes from justice thomas
0: yes and again that's
1: another one of those things where when people say um you know they always act in a certain way i'm like yeah but justice thomas saying this is a state power yes the state court had had When they redid the maps after the gerrymandering the first time, he would have upheld those maps because he would have said it was a state power. So people who wanted those maps that way, meaning Democrats and progressives in North North Carolina, Carolina. would have had to get in bed with Justice Thomas, who they can't stand because of all the rest of the way that he – so yeah, so that's why I think reading the court dissents – you got to is always fascinating because you'll yeah. find that, yeah, you, sometimes even a person who you disagree with 98% of the time, two percent of the time, they say something that you're like, oh, they're actually on my side about yeah, you, this particular point.
0: Yeah, you got you have to read the concurrences and the dissents, yeah, because when they're not writing to keep a majority, you really see the justices, um, uh, you know, uh, expose what they really think about a law or a practice or right. behavior and right? a process. Yes, you, get, and
1: you get a whole lot more. Yeah. Okay. Because, and, and that's how you get to know the justices and that's how yeah. you really get to know justice Thomas when given the choice is always going to go with state power. Oh yes. He's going to yes. he's going to defer to the state for everything. Yeah. Because including those maps, right. Yeah, like because, including.
0: Because he's such an originalist that, you know, Article one of the US Constitution says all legislative power herein granted. Okay. So he views that as not only a statement that Congress has power, but it's only those powers. Right. It's only those powers.
1: Right. So everything else because is- he's he's one of the original anti-federalists. Yes. Right? Like he'd have been in the crowd writing yes. the anti-federalist papers saying yes. saying the pe- federal government needs to not be so powerful because yes. it's like having a king, right? Yes. It's like having a monarchy. We yep. don't want that in this country. We want people at the local level. Justice Thomas fundamentally believes that the more local your decisions are, the better they are for the people in your state.
0: Yes. Yep. yep.
1: And yep. and so – and. And there's times when I agree with that, and then there's times when I, I wish he would get in his RV and go to a national park. <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> Wait, well, anyway. well, let's do more uh, two more cases in this particular okay. podcast podcast episode. The next Can we one we do Texas. Yes, U.S. versus Texas. Okay.
1: Uh, isn't that the name of every case out of Texas? Well, let's
0: face it. you know,
1: <laughs> U.S. versus Texas. Which one?
0: Okay. I mean, because in the last, well, let's just put it this way. When there's a Democratic president, Texas is going to be a party in a case, okay, with some regularity. Every day. Okay. And w- when it's a Republican <laughs> president then it's the state California California and or New York right yep. <laughs> okay i mean it's i mean it's just how it works well, yeah it's just how it works right
1: and texas also uh, for better or worse and and it is what it is texas is a highly independent minded yeah state like yeah. it doesn't it doesn't really want to go along with the other states on pretty much anything it has its own power grid like it has its own every, and I think it really does perceive itself in some ways as very separate. Well,
0: I mean, in, in, and in, it and chafes, it, it chafes at being. Well, and in, in, in this particular case, the issue is immigration and. Which Texas, is super complex for Texas. Yeah. yeah I mean, in, in in Texas, you know, and many Texans, whether they work in state government or not uh, in that state, we'll I'll go ahead and tell you this is a big issue. Okay. Right. And in this case arose because Texas claimed the Biden administration was not enforcing federal law, right? The federal, okay. the, uh, and in particular, um, uh, the department of Homeland security, um, issued guidelines for the enforcement of the federal immigration law. Um, and basically went ahead and said, because of scarce resources, including money and personnel, that there would be, if you will, uh, points of emphasis. I think the, the, the guidelines mentioned three or four categories of people entering the United States without citizenship, okay, who would be targeted for enforcement, but everybody else would not be targeted for enforcement. And, Texas, and those
1: targeted are uh, criminal c- criminals.
0: Those who had already been previously deported, so they right. should have known that they were not welcomed in the United States.
1: Right. There's okay. It's yeah. like two or three, three or four categories where yeah. we're going to really focus our resources on those people.
0: Yes. And Texas and Louisiana both claimed... Um, that um, uh, uh, the Biden administration was violating Article II of the Constitution, uh, particularly the take care to faithfully execute the law. They were not faithfully executing the law, according to the states. The federal government claimed Texas did not have standing to sue. And the United States Supreme Court, okay, agreed with the federal government okay agreed with the federal government
1: yeah and that can i just say augie that's tough for me yeah because there's a part of me that's like texas texas is trying to get the federal government to do what it says it's going to do which is enforce the law um and that resources lack of resources are not their problem that they and that they believe the border is overrun. I don't know if I'm sure that I believe the border is overrun, but I I can see their point. But by the same token, if if you if you allowed each state to sue the federal government for not fully pursuing enforcement of the code, US code, it would be constant like it would be a constant And part of the tug of war between states and the federal government about how they spend their money and how there's, yeah, it would be really complicated. Well, and
0: also this case, first, you just mentioned something that I think a lot of listeners um, might want to pay some uh, attention to because it's received some scholarly treatment. There are so many federal laws that have been passed by United States Congress. That pretty much any time a new presidential administration takes office they can't enforce all of them. Right. They the code to, is huge. They have to pick and choose. Yeah. If
1: in you, this
0: in in if, in this in this points to a particular problem. We've passed so many laws, right. Okay? That it gives the executive branch the kind of discretion that Texas and Louisiana were complaining about in this case. I recall during the Trump administration, you had liberal states, states controlled by Democratic governors who were suing the Trump administration for not enforcing other federal laws that they would prefer to be the focus of that particular presidential administration. And you're right, Nia. If we allowed these lawsuits to you know, take place, the federal government would spend an awful lot of time defending itself and its enforcement decisions in court. The other problem this case generates, and this goes back to uh, a case that was decided um, uh, uh, in the first decade of this millennium, uh, Massachusetts versus EPA. And you and I have discussed this case uh, on a previous podcast episode. This is the case where Massachusetts sued the Bush 43 administration for not enforcing the Clean Air Act in regards to um, uh, greenhouse gases. The Bush administration said, um, we have a discretionary choice on how we enforce the Clean Air Act. And Massachusetts and other states argued, no, you don't. And one of the issues the Bush 43 administration raised in the case was Massachusetts and these other states don't have standing to sue. That if they didn't like how the Bush 43 administration was implementing the law, those states should go to Congress and force Congress to rewrite the law, forcing the administration to implement new regulations about greenhouse gases. And this is where scholars really thought Texas and Louisiana might win, was because if the Supreme Court was going to allow Massachusetts to have standing to sue the Bush 43 administration, then why shouldn't Texas and Louisiana be able to sue the Biden administration on implementing immigration enforcement? And what was somewhat surprising about the ruling was that the court um, rolled against, and it wasn't even really close. I think the vote was eight to one. Okay. The vote was eight to one. Um, wow. Yeah. Uh, the only justice who would have allowed the lawsuit to continue was justice Alito. The majority opinion was written by Brett Kavanaugh and he was joined by, um, uh, the chief justice and the three liberals. And Gorsuch said, um, that um, uh, Texas and Louisiana could not show injury. Hmm. They, couldn't, they couldn't show how they've been injured. All right.
1: Yeah, and that's part of standing is yeah. that you have to show that you, that your state has been injured by the way, 53 titles in the U S code. Yes. 53 titles, meaning there and are it. approximately 70 volumes yes. that hold the U S code. and. Suing on it not being enforced would be a constant everyday. Yes, so withstanding, you've you've discussed this with us before. Yeah, you have to show that you've been injured.
0: Yeah, you have to be injured, you have to show injury in fact. Two, you have to uh, show the connection between your injury and what the government did, and then third, you have to show that the court can redress your injury,
1: right. It, that okay. It's not just, I want my leg back. Well, you, we can't give you your leg back. Like, yeah, yeah. We, okay. can't, we can't redress the injury because it's psychological or it's emotional yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Um, but in this case, they're saying that the, that Texas and Louisiana didn't have, Louisiana did not have standing.
0: Because they did, couldn't show injury. Right. Now, in a concurrence-
1: I, I think that yeah. there is a, probably an argument for showing some injury financially because yeah. they have to deal with- And that was Alito's point
0: in his dissent. He would have granted standing simply because he was convinced or persuaded that Texas and Louisiana and other border states incur significant financial, you know, budgetary costs.
1: Right. Okay. Trying to house and feed and take care of and process.
0: Yeah. Now, Gorsuch wrote uh, a concurrence. Which was joined by Thomas and Coney Barrett. Um, Gorsuch emphasized that he didn't think the courts could redress the harm done, ah, because okay. according because according to Gorsuch, how do the courts force the executive branch to enforce laws when, in many instances, the laws can't be enforced because Congress. Hasn't done what, Nia?
1: I'm assuming funded the enforce. Yes.
0: <laughs> yes, Gorsuch was was like, so
1: how what do we, we how do we make the legislature give them enough money to to enforce the yeah?
0: And, and to your point, okay, that you started this conversation with about this case, okay, you want to talk about uh, the the federal government defending itself. With much, much more regularity in federal court, if states could sue all the time, think, <laughs> think about the amount of business that would generate for the federal court system. I mean, you know, to Gorsuch's claim, you know, point, you know, all we w- all the federal courts would end up doing is, you know, basically acting as a review tribunal for enforcement or lack of enforcement decisions made
1: by the executive branch. Which is not the court's business. No. Okay. Right. right. Should be the legislature. So, yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. Mm-hmm. There was one um, other case. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. So
1: hit me with the other case,
0: Doe. Uh, and this one really, this really. Oh,
1: um, uh, this one I, has a lot of vowels. Yeah. Uh,
0: and, and 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 I.
1: <laughs> There's and, a lot and, of. <laughs> it's Holland.
0: Holland versus versus...
1: Brackeen. Yeah, Lots of A's, lots of E's.
0: And I got to admit, Nia, this case really divided me. Um, um,
1: Is this – I make light at the beginning here because this is a hard case. This is a hard case. This is a complicated case.
0: Okay. So uh, there were two issues with this case, Um, uh, whether the Indian Child Welfare Act – Violated the anti-commandeering doctrine of the Tenth Amendment, and then, um, well, actually there are three issues. Second, whether the individual plaintiffs had Article Three standing once again to sue, challenging, um, I'm just going to say the laws' placement uh, preferences for other Indian families or for Indian foster homes, and then three whether or not those two provisions violated the equal protection clause of the 14th amendment and what the court decided was um
1: so this is child custody
0: cases yeah Yeah.
1: and what what was that question were if families were non-indian
0: could they adopt
1: could they adopt yeah. or foster Indian Native, children? Yeah, Native, Native American children. children. By, sorry, by Native American, by Indian, when we say Indian child welfare, we mean Native American. Yeah. Um, because that's the the 1978 term for the, the law, Indian. Yeah. So whether Native American children could go to these families, or if preference should be automatically given to Native American families, Regardless of the situation of the child, meaning if the child had been living with a non a non Native American family, they could be moved out of that situation and into a Native American family um, under this provision. Under this, but that was the que- that was what was at question. Yeah. And I think it was brought by foster families, wasn't? Who were like, no, no, this is our kid. We've we've had this kid all along. Like they're our kid, and and the tribes were saying no. They need to be with Native American families. That's right.
0: Okay. Um, so, I mean, in, you accurately summarize the fact that this case touched upon three constitutional, if you will, clauses. Right. One, did Congress have the authority in the Constitution to pass such a law? Right. Two, okay. Okay. Um, Did this law violate the 10th Amendment, okay, in particular states' rights? Did it impose upon states a requirement that they place, okay, um, uh, Native American children who are unwanted for whatever reason by their birth parents in um, uh, Native American foster homes or Native American tribes? And then the third issue was, did the law violate the Equal Protection Clause, okay, Um, because it was discriminating against potentially Native American children, Right. right? Because it is assuming that other Native American families or Native American tribes are the best homes for these children. Okay.
1: Which in many cases we would argue is true, but in some cases we He's would a, argue is not.
0: Not. Okay.
1: If the child has been with a non-native family, but they've and been with them for years, years and they're doing well. That's their family. Like
0: Yeah, and, and they're doing well, right? I mean, right. In, but, in this But it, it's
1: part of it is a reaction to separating children out of Native American tribes which we did back in the day, us and Canada, and Australia with the Aboriginal children. Yes. we took them away from their their families and we put them into white schools. Yes, so we could teach them to be white people.
0: Yes, um, we we wrong is
1: a wrong part yes. of our history and part of this Act in 1978 was to help mitigate that. Right, was to help fix well, this idea that what you do is take a native child out of a native home and put it into a non-native home with the hope that it, will, that it will lose its connection to the native, connect, the native um, tribe. Yeah. And, and so it was a horrible, and I see why the, the idea of the act was good, right? Like I see the purpose of that was to try to keep people with their tribe as much as you could. But man, it didn't allow for nuance in some, in some ways.
0: Well, I mean, because the law is rather specific. I mean, the first two preferences, okay, are either a Native American uh, foster home or a Native American tribe. Right. Right.
1: And Doesn't take into account love or connection or relationships or.
0: Yeah, or as written into the code in, I think, nearly all 50 states, what's the best interest of the child? Right. Okay. And this is where I get torn. Because, you know, Nia, you're correct. The genesis of this law was, finally, the United States Congress in 1978 said, we got to stop this horrific practice of yanking Native American children out of their homes, away from their tribes, and putting them into, you know, typically, you know, Caucasian family homes, and we're going to enforce assimilation. Right. And we did that. Okay, for decades. Okay. Um, You know, for well over a century, we did that. A century and a half, in fact, right? What the court held was that Congress did have the authority in Article 1 of the Constitution um, and rejected um, um, uh, those challenging the law um, uh, in regards to the 10th Amendment in the Equal Protection Clause um what was the vote the vote was seven to two uh the majority opinion was written by justice uh coney barrett um and um you know and she was very clear um that per supreme court precedent congress has wide authority okay to uh, regulate and provide for native american tribes in this country. Okay.
1: So they also—that means that the court also upheld the idea that you must first look for a native family or a native tribe, tribe. and Then you may place a child. Yep.
0: yep. Yep.
1: Regardless of what the relationship is, that's a little hard for me. I have to admit.
0: And, and again, I struggle with this. This case really, when I saw it was on the the docket, I was just like, wow. Um, when I read the written briefs, Nia. Read the transcript of the oral arguments. Um, I struggled with this. Um yeah, because it
1: should be what's best for the kids.
0: Um on the And other, that
1: shouldn't be prescribed by law, but by the same token, for a long time they thought what was best for the kids was to be pulled out of
0: Yeah. And, right. So
1: it takes that question out of it. I okay. Yeah. Now I mean, talking my way around to understanding where the 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 genesis of the law was because right. again. Um, When you had obnoxious white people thinking, oh, well, I know what's best best for these children. It's best for them to be raised white. Yeah,
0: yeah. And And away from
1: their tribe, then you're right. That is not a thing you want to leave up to. How much I'm going to just bet that of the two, Thomas was a dissenter because he's a dissenter for everything. (laughs) He lives for the dissent.
0: And who's the second one who dissented?
1: Well, it wouldn't be Gorsuch, because uh, no. he's very pro-Native American yeah. rights.
0: Yeah, and I'm going to discuss this in our next podcast episode, um, uh, but uh, uh, Justice uh, Gorsuch has, uh, on the time he's been on the uh, the Supreme Court, the court has taken 11 cases concerning or dealing with Native American tribes, and in all 11, he's voted um, with the Native American tribes, Okay. Uh, No, the second one in the dissent was Alito. Um, Thomas wrote for those two, and in his dissent, he emphasized how the court has historically deferred to state authority over family law matters because, in his estimation, um, the um, uh, Congress's authority in Article I does not extend to family law.
1: Ah, so he's saying the whole thing is crap because yes. it should be decided by the state.
0: States, yep. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So now um we we we've gone on for a period of time, and mind you, and this is a little bit of foreshadowing for the next episode. We haven't even discussed, okay, um the two affirmative action cases heard by the court the two biden administration student loan forgiveness programs and a th- uh, and in another case concerning um a state law in regards to non-discrimination um against uh lgbt lgbtq plus individuals all right
1: yeah so, so we got a lot to discuss for the next time
0: yeah, yes so but
1: thank you Augie these complica- these are these are Byzantine cases and I really appreciate you explaining them at the granular level so that I can I can really understand what I agree with and what I don't agree with rather than just saying the supreme court sucks which is cuz well, they don't it, they're trying it, to thread a lot of needles here that are very nuanced about I mean these about some really complicated okay, they, issues. Yeah. It reminds me every year when you do this it reminds me that the easy ones don't go to the Supreme Court. Yes, right? Yeah. They don't they, they don't get the easy cases. They don't get the ones where we all go, "Well duh." Right? That's not they get the ones where we all go, "Ooh, issues." Right? Like there's bigger things to consider here.
0: Yeah, it just it, it, reminds
1: me that I don't want to be on the court. Yeah. I mean, every and, time, every time yeah. we do this. <laughs> yeah.
0: In, in the last case we discussed, okay, the, um, uh, the yeah. bracking case, um, Talk is, about
1: complicated
0: is one of the reasons why when, you know, when students in particular say, Oh, you, don't, you wish you were on the Supreme Court. And I was just like, like, No, no, because <laughs> I, I don't, I would have a really hard time removing myself emotionally. Right. Um, wrestling um,
1: with these issues and um, wanting to do right by everybody. Yeah. Because the answer here is that nobody is bad. Nobody, everybody's trying to figure out what the best way it is to handle Native American children or to handle the question of immigration or to handle these other, like, none of the parties here are are trying to be evil. They're all just trying to figure out,
0: yeah. you I know, mean,
1: even that question about stalking, right, where does your right to to message people and and their right to be threatened start right like where is that's a complicated thing for a media for, for a world in which everyone constantly
0: um it, it, communicates
1: through yeah through social media. media
0: yeah social media right i mean and i mean even the the North and Carolina- our
1: previous where we talked about google being responsible for are they responsible for what people post on their on their platforms. On their yeah. platforms or yeah. not. And and yeah, North Carolina. What I mean, North Carolina is complicated anyway, but
0: but 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 again, because I'm a political scientist and you know I, I teach and have studied gerrymandering, okay, on one hand I, I despise the practice, right? Okay, where parties and candidates choose their voters instead of the converse. On the other hand, it's not explicitly prohibited in the US Constitution. And both parties, as you've pointed out, have used it for years. Right. Right. Okay. It, it's one of those artifacts of the American system, right? So I, I'm
1: I'm like yeah,
0: oh, well, yeah, right. uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, but at the end I, of the I but, would be
1: you and I would be sitting next to each other, and they would say that that's Judge Wish and Judge Wash. They are wishy-washy,
0: washy, right?
1: Okay. <laughs> Cause, I cause mean, where where, we, where
0: you you and I came to agreement, even in the North Carolina redistricting case, was we we thought the independent state legislative theory was BS. Okay. On the other hand, I also happen to like how. You know, Chief Justice Roberts went ahead and sent a, a not too subtle reminder to state supreme courts
1: to slow your roll.
0: Yeah, don't go overboard here, guys. Right. Right? <laughs> right? Okay, we we guaranteed you a role in the process. Okay, but don't make us regret it. Exactly. Right? Don't <laughs> right? make me
1: come over there.
0: there right? Yeah.
1: I'm so. letting you stay up a half an hour past bedtime. Don't make me tell you again. Yeah, right? Like, right. It, yeah. There's a okay. whole. Yeah. You know, uh,
0: you know, I'm letting you stay up an extra half hour here. But when that half hour is up, don't try to negotiate an extra half hour because I'm going to re- then get really upset and then I won't extend, you know, okay, that. Tomorrow discourse. night. Right? Yeah, <laughs> right, yeah, I'm not going to do that in the future, right? Yes. But anyways.
1: All right, oh, thank you, here. Augie. All right, bye. Bye.